You are listening to 88.3 WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. thing about regret is that it's better to regret something you have done than to regret something you haven't done. And by the way, if you see your mom this weekend, would you be sure and tell her, Satan, Satan, Satan. Good afternoon. You've got living writers. I'm C. Hetzel. Um, we're taping the show uh, today, Friday, August 8th, 2014. And today I'm so happy to have here in the studio Jason Breedle and Mark McKee. Uh, welcome, you guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Um, thanks for picking the songs for the show, mm-hmm. too. <laughs> Trying not to laugh. Um, because that seems like that would be a good theme song for um, every living writer's show, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and you guys just drove in. You were just on the road uh, on I-94, um, beginning your Midwest ruination run. Mm-hmm. Is that safe to say? It is safe to say now that we're here. <laughs> Jason drove. Uh, like, he drove very well <laughs> and abided by some of the laws of the road. And yep. then sort of went. <laughs> and some of the others, well, there you go. Who knows? You made it. Well, you're mm-hmm. poets on art, the road. Art first. Art first, really. exactly. That's the spirit. And um, you're coming to town to, to read at Literati. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hopefully by the time you guys are listening to this out there, you had a chance to see them there. And if not, you'll be able to catch them the next time they're coming through town. Are there other stops on the, the ruination run? Like where are you going the next stops as well? Uh, Bloomington, Indiana. Oh, okay. And Columbia, Missouri. Oh, so your alma mater mm-hmm. and the place where you live now, Mark, mm-hmm. and work. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, um, before we go any further, let's. Bloomington get... is my alma mater. It's his too. Oh, it's yours too. Is that where you guys met? <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Oh, so friends since since undergrad. Mm-hmm. So how'd you meet? Well, it was a crowded dance floor. No. Uh, <laughs> the, beast w- the beat was pulsing. We met in David Wojan's uh, poetry workshop in the, was that the spring of 98? Yep. Yeah. And I was convinced uh, that I was the smartest person in the class. And at the beginning of this kind of like the query, like, oh, what are you reading? You know, I'm expecting all of the other students to, you know, just say things that they've been reading for classes. 
And meanwhile, I've been reading all these contemporary poets that I'm super proud of myself for reading. But Jason went first and mentioned like three of the names that I was going to read. <laughs> like who? Like Dean Young? Well, like Dean Young, yeah. especially, and Mark Halliday. Yes. Um, I can't, I mean, I think you mentioned John Ashbery too or something, but David I was Curry. like, oh, yeah. right. Yeah, not me. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not the smartest one in the room. <laughs> and then did you say you were reading Walt Whitman, Mark? No. <laughs> No, I, I had to go after him and say, I too am reading Dean Young, <laughs> Mark Halliday. Spoiler alert. Yeah. How, how did yeah. you know that, Jason? Is this like a story you're familiar with from your... Yeah, I remember it differently. <laughs> what, I remember go, I remember going after him. <laughs> and I had to say, I also like Dean Young. <laughs> but we just remember a complete opposite. Right. Which I think probably makes sense that for us mm -hmm. knowing each other it's true and i feel like it makes a certain sense why mark has in his new book just hot off the presses from black lawrence press the wilderness which is so exciting to have here um in yeah the studio. It's, it's exciting to see it <laughs> this, this is like your first this mark hadn't seen the book everyone right. until he he got here to the studio because they they overnighted it the good people i should say thanks to um Diane, especially. Oh, yeah. Uh, at Black Lawrence. Thanks, Press. Diane. Yeah. I hope you, yeah, she'll be hearing this. She'll, we'll be <laughs> piping it in, <laughs> streaming. But but there's a one of the poems in the collection is Jason Breedle. Mm -hmm. It's titled Jason Breedle. It is. So now some of that makes sense with this sort of this uh, strange memory overlap and co conflict that you guys is, have. Or who can, are you? I mean, I who's can, who? I can say with certainty that, that, that the poem Jason Breedle succeeds rather than precedes a poem named mark mckee by jason so that that time i definitely came second yeah do, do you have that one with you uh no oh, what a shame yeah what a shame. Um, what no a that we could re read either of those it seems weird on air there's, a little weird but well there's some fcc concerns right that sure. we were talking about earlier these guys Maybe. these are wild and crazy guys everybody <laughs> wild and crazy poets um yeah, I, but I sort of wrote that poem so I could get published in a journal that loved him. <laughs> they I didn't like, know that part of it. Yeah, Indiana Review. Uh, uh, Simeon Barry loved you. So I wrote a poem called Mark McKee and submitted it there immediately. But that's, it that's strategy. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So are you advising... I think I wanted to write that poem anyway. Yeah. Deep in your heart. Yeah. Deep. Yeah, of course. Of course. It's clear to me just sitting in this... I feel lucky to There's be no in the There's no shallow this, in that heart. Studio. It's all deep. <laughs> It is all deep and really an athleticism too. Mm -hmm. Very athletic heart. Okay. Um, before we go any further, I'm going to read your short bios and okay. then, and then we'll go, we'll start with, since uh, we'll start with Mark McKee's book, The Wilderness and uh, Mark's bio. Mark McKee is the author of What Apocalypse, which won the New Michigan Press Diagram 2008 chapbook contest and Fuse also out with Black Lawrence Press. His work has appeared in various journals such as Barnell Review, Boston Review, Cimarron Review, Conduit, Crazy Horse, Diagram, Forklift, Ohio, Lit, and Pleiades. He teaches at the University of Missouri at Columbia, where he lives with his wife, Camellia Cosgray. Bill Wilderness is his second full-length collection. And like we just said, it's hot off the press, everyone. So go grab a copy now, The Wilderness. Okay, Jason Breedle. Jason's latest book is Carnival, um, out with University of Akron Press. Jason Breedle is the author of Carnival, The Book of Evil, Smiles of the Unstoppable, 
Class Project, Pain Fantasy, Standing in Line for the Beast, and a 12-step guide. He lives in Chicago, and we'll fill in more things about mysterious Jason. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, because the last, well, and, and you're a friend of the show. You've been on before, Jason Breedle, right? Yep, and, friend uh, of the show. <laughs> and this is my fourth time. <laughs> Second time with you. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> you preceded me on mm. Living Writers. Mm. Uh, yeah. uh, well, this is, you might be one of the most guested. If I'd known that, I don't think I mean, we would have invited like him. I mean, that's almost like covers <laughs> almost 20 years. It's like 15 years. Yeah. You're sort of omnipresent. We can't get away yeah. from you. You keep finding us down here in the production studio. Yeah, because I think the last time it was for Pain Fantasy. That's, that's the book I have. Yeah. Here's here. Okay. Well, great. Well, folks, you're going to be reading tonight at Literati. You've got this tour planned. So do you have, when you have um, any ideas of like how you're, when you do a reading um, together as longtime friends, do you both, are you going to alternate poems? Or are you going to just each take a block of time? Are you going to heckle each other? How, how is this ruination run going to come together or come apart? We hadn't really talked about it. Now is a good time. I, I, we talked <laughs> about a, it a the, little bit. The it's true. I said, away. have you thought of anything creative? And you said, not really. <laughs> I mean, I I figured that we'd either... I mean, we could go back and forth. I've done that before with, with other people. Um, but we could also just like flip a coin for who goes first each night. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we could, yeah. yeah. Or arm wrestle or so. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's go back <laughs> to this this time. So you had this budding friendship in undergrad. Mm-hmm. How did like did you write poems together like uh, together then, or when you started? Was it always? Um, it feels like you were probably really glad to have each other in the world of poems. Like look, reading both your poems, these guys are nodding. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I thought the nod was going to sound on my mic. Right. <laughs> right. We should get that. But. Um, well, I know for, for my part, I was very happy to, to run into somebody my own age. I'd been, um, fortunate enough to kind of befriend a, a poet who is older and very generous and encouraging. Um, who but Jason, oh, it was Dean Young, actually, um, whose then wife worked at Indiana University. And, but being able to kind of, especially in an undergraduate way, kind of see Jason like really regularly and talk about poetry and talk about the Simpsons and um, to be informed by people that he was reading that I didn't know about. I don't know that that went both ways. Oh, it totally did. Yeah. It was hugely important to me. Yeah. I didn't realize it at the time how important it was, you know, just like, I mean, everything was new to us. Mm -hmm. Well, to me, everything was new and like I was learning all all these new authors from you and like new music. It was really inspiring. And I mean, we just sort of had similar tastes. Yeah. So. Well, it was also important because I understood pretty quickly that, um, that Jason was a much better poet than me. And so, uh, I'm not saying that to embarrass him, uh, but it, it became, I aspired to be as kind of like as, as rangy as his imagination was and as kind of like acute as his sensibility was. I just I hadn't gotten there yet. Um, so but that those was, were the kind of poems you wanted as well. Then. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So what, 
what is this like value? Like, cause you're saying the the range of the imagination and the, the openness, openness of that. Um, how is surrealism or so, or the unconscious part of that for you both? Well, <laughs> I think it's clearly been important, at least the, the, the after the aftermath of surrealism on the art landscape. Um, do you want to, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I like surrealism, <laughs> uh, in terms of like what you say about the unconscious is interesting. Cause I was talking, uh, to another friend of ours about this recently who, um, we were talking about, um, sort of like being in almost an unconscious state in order to write. Like if you're thinking about it too much, you can't write it. So it's like, like for me, when I'm writing, I, I try to clear my head, you know, and just let stuff come out um, as opposed to thinking too much about it, which maybe that sounds weird. But, no, because then it um, feels like maybe you're strong arming something that's then gets closed. Down. Yeah, I don't know. I also just have a lot of random thoughts tumble out of my head. So <laughs> just, I just write them down. <laughs> Even without coffee, right, Preetal? Right, right. Yeah. Um, and wait, and so I think I read a poem today. Why I hate realism. That's one mm -hmm. of yours, Mike, it is. isn't it? Do you want to read that now? Uh, or is it? Sure. <laughs> and so now I've put Mark on the spot. And then, Breedle, when we come back from the break, will you read a poem? Yeah. Okay. This is actually one of the earliest poems that I wrote. I think I wrote this in 1998, which is, I mean, pretty shortly after I met Jason. Um, and I believe, yeah, I mean, I definitely wrote it in Bloomington, and it's probably one of those poems that I emailed you at some point. Oh, yeah, I've definitely seen it before. Why I Hate Realism There are always plenty of viruses to go around. Everything is reasoned out to hopelessness, and no realist ever committed sleeping on the wing to memory, because memory is a joyless scientist, a harsh narrator who spends no time looking out the window underneath clouds at the man across the highway watching the traffic from his white chair, a whip in one hand and a Diet Coke in the other, sometimes a whip, sometimes a violin out of tune. Gregory Peck never wins Audrey Hepburn in Roman Holiday, though the story behind the story turns out okay, considering in realism you never meet the love of your life, and too many drinks is just too many drinks and a headache. The map of Indiana on the coffee table is just a map of Indiana, and not a mansion, not a tonnage of clue leading to cures. There aren't any miracles. All the replacements recordings are at the bottom of a big, muddy river, so we're left with a legend without an echo. In realism, O'Hara dies as something completely unludicrous. No one goes walking out of Denny's real casual-like with a pot of steaming coffee in one hand, while the other hand waves a goodbye that isn't a goodbye as much as it's a wink. Nothing of flight, only something like flight, which is really not flight at all. The good part survives in order to instruct you on how bad things realistically are. You always walk out of the Sistine Chapel alone, full of rue and reduced, as you pass a beautiful woman, wondering if she's the other love of your life. But she isn't, because in realism there is no love of your life, and your mathematics are devoted to decreasing pain at the risk of never rushing awkwardly, mistakenly, right into pleasure. 
Jouissance is just a word the silly French made up. Now always makes up its mind to be worse than then. Appearance of flame means only loss, disintegration. The fight between the boy and the girl as everyone leaves the baseball stadium means she gets into a stranger's car, right in the middle of slow, heavy traffic, then rushes back to Elsinore to yell some more, and then returns to the stranger's car. It never shakes itself into anything other than an inability to know another, no redemption. Joy never sees a ghost. There's no such thing as ghosts. No spirit, no spirits, no soul, no fuse. No eight-year-old girl asking me plainly, wisely, what is incisive? What is a quadrant? When she's really asking, are things like they say they are? What can you tell me in the time it takes to eat dinner at my house? Don't believe one of them, Courtney. They're scared you won't be scared. Courtney, once I caught my shadow. I let it go because it asked to be released, and there was a horn section nearby. Can you believe it? A horn section, and somewhere in Oregon. And I felt like I wasn't just walking and would never have to again. Thanks, Mark. Mark McKee reading his poem, Why I Hate Realism. You've got living writers up next. Jason Breedle will have a poem for us. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. just tuning in. I'm glad you did. I'm T. Hetzel today on Living Writers. Jason Breedle is here and Mark McKee. Poets both. Um, we're thrilled. I'm thrilled to have um, Mark McKee's book, The Wilderness, hot off the press from Black Lawrence Press here in the studio with us. Um, Mark, I should actually, I'll, you know what, I should hand it back so you can actually <laughs> be near it because this is the first time Mark's seen the, the copy. Um, yeah, I missed it on my trip up to see Jason in Chicago. Well, you were catching that mega bus, right, mm-hmm. to start. Um, and, okay, but we're back. And we talked a little bit about um, both of you meeting uh, at school and undergrad in um, David Wojohn's class. And um, I'm wondering for each of you, uh, and maybe, Mark, you can start um, with uh, when you were little, you know, you already said you were reading books of a contemporary American poets. Like, were you um, were you always writing when you w- were young, wandering around, or what, w- how I, did it start for you? I was mostly drawing when I was a when I was a child, um, and and reading. 
I didn't write anything. What were you uh, drawing? That wasn't for school for a long time, but um, oh, I would just I start off with I just tried to draw things uh, and and mainly people, I guess. And once I started reading comic books, at a, at a certain point, I started drawing comic book characters, and and I started drawing, I, I suppose, kind of like haphazardly, kind of like elementary, kind of surrealistic, kind of in skateboard logos, essentially. Since I was a skateboarder, I was basically working off the logos that the that the you know the artists that put the design decks were uh were using and did your drawings um your characters did they get thought bubbles like was that sort of early working with text or so or were they always silent the only extracurricular writing i would i i ever did was the eventual kind of thank you note that i was compelled to write or uh just randomly kind of like mean-spirited things about other kids in my class in your Um, diary no i mean we had yeah my parents really can't listen to this in church actually uh with if i'd sit with friends in church they would start a story about somebody that we didn't like and we would just try to outdo each other into the the horribleness and pass down like write something down yeah incredibly mean-spirited evil and uh i i don't do that anymore the, well, thank goodness, because otherwise we're going to be report, reporting. You know, I don't know why I'm saying that. I'm not like the note police or so. Jason, what about you with with your... Um, I did. I mean, I... Didn't... Were you drawing too? Did you have your horse head phase? I did. Lots of horse heads. <laughs> I don't remember. I might have drawn a little. I don't, I don't recall. Um, I mean, I wrote a little bit before I got to college, but not uh, just in class, you know, I don't know. Nothing very interesting. (laughs) I I wonder when it became okay to like want to like to feel okay with writing these things that almost seem like the random thoughts you mentioned earlier. Like I've got a ton, like instead of maybe thinking, Oh, this has to be look like something else. Or be, you know, not that you would write sonnets. I mean, right, I don't know. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, that still doesn't come naturally to me. But one, I mean, I used to just blurt things out to uh, to my friends that I would just think of. And they would just kind of, what are you babbling about, McKee? And so I stopped blurting those things out, but they were still in my head. And it wasn't really until college where I had some kind of space and some kind of independent space where it felt like writing those down for myself was better than not saying them out loud. So, I mean, did you have anything like that? Was that? Yeah. I mean, I've always got stories happening in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's hear one of the, the stories that turned into a poem. How about that? Uh, you mean read a poem? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, This is called Carnival. Um, It's from my book, Carnival, um, from University of Akron. You forget so much, and it makes me sad. I like holding your hand on the Ferris wheel because it makes you happy. There's one little dude in the Gravitron. A girl with a bloody nose is escorted from the Himalaya. Do you like corn dogs? I'm committed to living and dying in the fast lane. I want to lose my wallet on the hellbender while the operator enjoys a fried chicken dinner with a side of baked beans and coleslaw. 
I want to win an enormous stuffed pig and save the lives of hundreds of goldfish. Everywhere there are lights and music and children with blue lips. Have you ever wondered what it's like to bury yourself in candy? I'm a little paranoid. If only I knew that in a few months we'll never speak again. Now is the time to celebrate. Wear white all week, wear red all weekend. After I die, I want my friends to take my corpse to all my favorite places. I want them to begin at the carnival. Thanks, Bridal. <laughs> so, Mark, you were turning away from the mark, the mic, then. Well, I didn't. I didn't want to. La- right. I didn't want to laugh into. <laughs> right. Because that. Yeah, I love that poem a lot. Why? And there's. It somehow manages to feel personal, without seeming to demand that the that the reader, you know, like, has to kind of salute. Uh, the speaker for anything else other than just sharing, you know, humanity. And it's slightly, it's slightly turned from what we've been kind of conditioned to accept as being normal while at the same time, utterly human. So, I mean, like, yeah, I just really like that poem, (laughs) but that's what's something I think about all of Jason's work. I mean, I think it's tremendously, um, (laughs) underappreciated. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I mean, I'm still in awe your, of it is opponent. what I mean. So. Yeah. And, well, okay, so to go back to something that, that you said earlier, Mark, um, about The Simpsons being something you both have had in common, um, the first title in your book, The Wilderness, is mm-hmm. actually coming from, like, a Simpsons quote, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a Simpsons quote from Moses Lack. There's the the episode, um, the name of the episode is Lisa the Skeptic, I think, and a concrete angel has been discovered, or you know, or an angel has been discovered, and Lisa is skeptical about it, um, and she keeps saying that it's not, it's not an angel, it's not an angel, and Mo says, that's enough about what it ain't. How about telling us what it am? So I just I went off of that last question, and use uh, yeah use that as a jumping off point. And why did you choose that to lead off Bewilderness, the book? Because you have a title poem in it, Bewilderness, mm-hmm. that comes... Uh, maybe Penultimate. Almost, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to say that word, so I'm like, the poets we always <laughs> like. Isn't that one of the words you really like, that and like sort of... Well, I, like I feel like I'm coming clean and like serendipitous. Like, I don't okay. know why. But <laughs> I think serendipitous is just supposed to make you feel good. It's one of those words that feels the way that it means. Like Pez. (laughs) Right. Almost exactly like Pez, only with fewer syllables. Like being buried in candy. Right. Yeah. And you know a guy named Pez, right? I do. And he sells Pez for a living. (laughs) No, 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 no. He he works at a movie theater with his wife and, and he creates games about eating candy. <laughs> um, but really a missed opportunity like on the side even <laughs> right yeah you could have quite a collection wonder woman oh the, okay never um, mind no 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 i just I'm, but I back just, to your poem why <laughs> i will the reason that i started there is because that is essentially um it it the poem is not trying to answer necessarily that the question of the title about um but it recognizes that like there's a kind of uh, desire to try to get at what what's happening 
And the poems in Bewilderness were largely written between 2001 and 2006. Uh, except there's a couple of really recent ones that kind of made their way into the book when I was finished the final polish. But most of the poems are written really in the kind of, in the cultural wake of 2001. Uh, so, written, you know, after 9-11. Then none of the poems are specifically addressed to that specific day. I didn't feel like that was something that I, that I could, that I could do without, uh, without, I just didn't feel powerful enough to do that. But what I did do, or what I was trying to do, was um, trying to absorb and 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 re uh, rearticulate, hopefully in in more hopeful forms, the kind of uh, the cultural detritus of the day. There's a lot of screaming, and there's a lot of paranoia, and there's a lot of uh, sadness. So I was trying to make something out of that, rather than just kind of be shut down by it. And so this first poem is evocative in mm-hmm. a way of um, this this mission or intention for what is to come and what unites yes that was my hope the book when you when you were ordering them or putting them together is it something like with your friendship did you send jason uh you know sort of a like do you guys talk about stuff like that with the your collections i mean i've I've, we all we always send manuscripts back and forth but i don't know that we've ever really talked about ordering no we just kind of figured those we're both i mean i think when it comes to things like that the kind of those details but what do you talk about i guess that's the the spirit of the question (laughs) it's we've been talking about it for a really long time like you know 16 years yeah so we talk about a lot right yeah <laughs> and they're really long conversations. Think, you know, I think our conversations go, uh, they're not super, I mean, they're a little specific to our own stuff, but I mean, we kind of talk about it. We generalize a lot, mm-hmm. you know, just I like th- we're talking about the landscape. Yeah. And I, th- I think one of the things that we're doing too when we're carrying on those conversations is, uh, is reassuring ourselves um, that what we're doing is, is what we're intending to do. I mean, I, 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 we're typically pretty, you know, um, kind to each other. And I think that like on some kind of basic level, like we need to know that somebody out there is going to hear us and understand us. Mm -hmm. And Jason's a confirmation of that for me, certainly. Yeah, me too. Let's take a, (laughs) let's take a short break. This is great. This is, this is a living writer's moment. Sponsored by Pez. I'm, <laughs> I'm T. Hetzel. You're listening to Living Writers. We've got the Liz at the, at the helm, at the controls. Um, we'll be right back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Jason Breedel and Mark McKee are here. Um, we've got their books, um, the latest, The Wilderness by Mark McKee, his latest collection um, out with Black Lawrence Press, Carnival by Jason Breedel, um, Jason's latest. Jason, do you have one that's kind of on deck that we can look for where you could have your unprecedented fifth show for Living Writers? No, I mean, I've... <laughs> I'm sending one out, but it's okay. who knows. Well, because well, I was looking at all the dates, it's like there's one. The world needs another Breedle book. Yeah. It seems like it's it's, yeah. it's about yeah. it's about time. So, um, so humor. <laughs> mm-hmm. It seems like uh, that that's a good place to start with with you guys. Um, I think Jason, you were in anthologized and seriously funny from the University of Georgia Press, and I think that's a pretty good title because it what what's funny is serious serious as well for both of you Mm -hmm. how you're using um on the surface what appears to be humor Mm -hmm. to get somewhere quite different or some feeling um i don't could what happens when you yeah (laughs) what's the question this is true (laughs) well what happens have you ever read try to write an earnest poem i don't know if it's in me to write something that's totally earnest i mean but I, in their own way i know they're I, all earn- right right i don't mean to imply these aren't earnest yeah right um i mean i i have written earnest poems but i haven't tried to you know i don't like sit down and think i'm gonna do this serious i mean i don't <laughs> sit down and think at all so you know, and you don't walk to a hilltop with daffodils. Right. No. No. Probably because in Chicago there aren't. There no aren't. hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I think one of the things that that both of us are drawn to, and I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not speaking for you, but um, is that the elasticity of humor is such that it can it can accommodate both tragedy and you know sorrow. Right. I mean. Um, Enjoy. Enjoy, right. Um, oh, right. Yeah, those aren't opposites. Sorry. <laughs> yes, tragedy and joy. That's that's what I was going for there. But, um, I mean, I've always... I can't get through a book of Jason's without laughing, you know, without 
I'm I'm not going to use the abbreviation, but laughing out loud. Yeah. And I don't think that I'm I don't think that I'm anywhere near as funny as he is, but humor has definitely played an important role in uh, in imagining and trying to kind of uh, make poems that are as empathetic as they can be. Um, I think it's natural for us to respond to 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 all all points on the emotional spectrum with you know with humor, uh, especially the more difficult points, often so that we can actually kind of you know, give ourselves some sort of buffer between the absolute pain of, and suffering of going through whatever kind of grief you might be and, uh, and making it to some kind of other side. Jason, how, uh, what's your two cents on empathy? Uh, what he said. <laughs> no, Figured. Figured. Uh, uh, no, I do agree with what he said. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a take on empathy specifically. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know when when I'm. I, I don't really. I don't think about being funny or anything when I'm writing. Um, it, it's really like for me, I just write what I like. It's like what I would want to read. So that's why I'm like my number one fan because I'm just <laughs> writing what I would want to read, uh, and. For me, I get a lot of joy, uh, you know, reading things that are both emotionally, uh, um, what's the word? Like wrenchy? Yeah. Or or bottom of the heap? Sure. Emotionally charged? Charged. That's okay. Much much better, Mark. (laughs) It's like suddenly turned into some word game. Yeah, this is a pop quiz. (laughs) I am no hot child. Well, I mean, you know, emotional depth, but also a sense of humor. I like those things. Um. Like George Saunders is one of my favorite yeah. writers. So yeah. That's pretty much what he does. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's friend of the show. <laughs> great, great guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, see his uh yeah. I see his, his signature right here. <laughs> you must sign the table before you leave, you guys. Right next to this one. <laughs> <laughs> Some of that radio humor. <laughs> it is. Um it, now I've forgotten what I was gonna say. Oh darn. Um hmm. Okay. When you're drafting poems, like going mm-hmm. back to the process of it for a mm-hmm. moment, do you have, um, I know you don't have any rules, but do you ever have this feeling like you want to get something down um, that feels like something before you walk away from it? Or are you kind of all right with having these pieces and fragments that you're just returning to? Or does it have to feel when you're Okay, and the reason let me fill you in on the books. I'm asking this question because no, I have 17 answers for it. That's, <laughs> you do. That's you the do? problem. Well, then let's just go. <laughs> let's just start there. <laughs> um, well, I mean, usually, especially when I first started writing seriously and started seriously considering myself someone who writes, um, I, I, it was constantly full drafts of something, and the only thing that I would do when I went back to drafts is either cut some things out if I could come up with a better ending or, or try to kind of like liven up the music of the line by, by messing around with the syntax and, and figuring out ways to kind of like sound both conversational, but also musical at the same time. And, 
I didn't so much just kind of like leave little fragments around. Like I would drive around town at, at times and have to like jot a fragment down. But when I got home, like it would be like, oh, I'll start there and just pour out whatever. Um, just as just, you know, just fountain out whatever the draft was going to be. As I get older, that does not happen as much. Uh, other things kind of like get in the way and sap the kind of energy that was there purely for poetry before. And I find that sometimes if I have a line, I'm called away to do something else. I'm fine with as long as I just kind of get it down there. And sometimes I just leave bits together and come back to a, a collection of fragments and see if I can kind of sew them together somehow. But And still there's the sometimes, you know, late at night, if I've been up just a little too long, I can just pour out one thing and then go to bed and be surprised with, with it when I wake up. That's a good feeling. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes you're like, oh, I, I should have just gone to bed. Yeah, I have that exact same, ex like everything you just explained. <laughs> you should let me answer a question first. Okay. <laughs> so it's not a show where Mark McKee and then Jason Friedel ditto. <laughs> I mean, you're better at... Uh, explaining it than I would be but I mean it's been the exact same way for me um, and when, if I were going to answer your question I would just say it happens always now like you know maybe I'll have you know a thought in my notebook and I can just sit down and write a whole poem based on it or I can take a lot of different thoughts and assemble something um, out of all of those I, I do that as well it's kind of like more of a collage um, and uh, I forgot what I was going to say. I forgot the next thing. <laughs> and sometimes it's just simply a matter of finding uh, finding something that makes the fragment uh, suggest something forward. Like I was writing a poem the other the other night, and and um, I was doing something that I met, I had intended to do for like ten years, which is write a poem that kind of uses the telegram. Uh, you know, methodology stop. as, yeah, the stop as a kind of, as the, um, really the only punctuation. So once you kind of get into the, and once you have a couple of lines and, the, and you know, stop is coming, then you're writing toward a stop that then kind of jumps ahead. So, I mean, like another thing is just, you know, you have a thought and if you have some way to kind of like um, give yourself a rule that's going to, that's going to be productive or sustaining. Do we, do we have time? <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to go back to what I was going to say about feeling, uh, what you mentioned. Um, like a, sometimes I will have sit down to write something and I have a different idea, definite idea of what I want the feeling to be, you know, like what I want it to encompass. Uh, and then it just doesn't work out at all, you know, but then a lot of times a totally different feeling happens that I wasn't expecting. So that's kind of like one of the best things about writing is surprising yourself, basically. That's kind of what happens there. You know, going in with a plan and then yeah. immediately the plan doesn't work and then something else comes out that that works in a different way. Sometimes something comes out that doesn't work at all, but but that could work in a different way. And then, and then but then you keep... I think that's kind of the hard part too is also um staying with it when something doesn't work or not necessarily that yeah, yeah. poem. Definitely. But mm -hmm. right. I mean 
I've had periods of time where that happens for months. Yeah. Just everything I write, I end up disliking. And, do you, and that is discouraging. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and, and is that one of the times when, like, there'll be, Mark will say something and you'll, because you, that, or like, I don't know where you, because it's hard to keep going then. It is. Um, I mean, sometimes, too, our conversation kind of goes in eddies and flows, too. But one or, one or another of us will get busy or will be kind of, like, closed down creatively. And then, and then you know, but eventually one of us will reach back out again. And then once there's something to, to kind of show the other. But I don't know. I mean, like, I kind of feel like at this stage, I'm, I'm not going to show you abortive things. Every once in a while, I might send you a poem and say is this working at all? But mostly mm -hmm. I'm showing you things that I want you to be excited about. Yeah. And I think do. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I didn't mean to make it grim there for a moment. <laughs> oh. but, but you know what? So, but what you were saying, Jason, is that I think sometimes when the poem, like is going from what your initial plan was or so, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, now somehow to trust it because that's when you're kind of getting excited about it in mm -hmm. the moment mm -hmm. of making right yeah but sometimes you get real excited and write it and then the next day you just hate it you know there's that too it's true <laughs> i just think why was this good to me yesterday well like i've been putting together like a, trying to put together a new manuscript like at the beginning of the summer and so I go back to all these like word documents that I have that have like 40 and 50 pages of different drafts of things. And that's discouraging. It's like, okay, I just went through 80 or 90 poems that I wrote and not like one of them right, might yeah. be okay. Wait, are you trying to salvage one or like make it into something else? Is that what you mean? Um, so, well, Cause sometimes I do go through my old stuff that failed and mm -hmm. just pick lines from it that didn't fail. To use elsewhere. I have done that one time. There's a poem in Fuse called Auto Cento, um, Kiss Goodbye. And that's basically line by line. It's one line from about 60 poems, 60 horrible poems I wrote over the course of a bad summer. So... But I haven't done that as much as I should. I shouldn't go back and cannibalize more. That's actually a great title for a book. I feel like the Magnetic Fields would use that as an album. <laughs> Anyway, right. let's take a break and then we'll come back. Today on Living Writers, Jason Breedle and Mark McKee are here. Mark McKee's book, Bewilderness, Jason Breedle's Carnival. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back.
You've Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, Jason Breedle, and Mark McKee are here today. Um, you guys, thanks so much for uh, kind of fitting this hour conversation in before you're running to Literati. Um, and I, I should say, we're taping this program August 8th, 2014. Too. Uh, thanks for having us. Uh, well, anytime. Anytime. Um, let's let's hear a couple of poems. Let's, um, Jason. Why don't you? Uh, sure. Start us off. This is called Twilight Box. From one lemur to a city of many other lemurs. Have a good evening, is how I suggested the local news anchor end his broadcast in a letter I wrote him last year. I don't remember why I was so into lemurs at the time, but like most of my letters to regional celebrities, it went unanswered. And then. We were sad. We sat often on porches. I spilled mustard on my pants, and that upset me. To make myself feel better, I wrote a rap star living in the area, asking him if he thought our local news anchor should end his broadcasts. From one lemur to a city of many other lemurs, have a good evening. It also went unanswered. Sometimes we played wiffle ball with neighborhood kids to cheer ourselves up. I didn't bother with the whole lemur news anchor question because I didn't think they'd be interested. I'd race them down the street on their bikes. We'd lie in the backyard and watch the airplanes fly overhead. It seemed we'd all moved on. We bought a garden hose and three flower pots. Mom called sometimes and we'd talk. I decided I needed, I needed to fix the porch light. Then one night, as my favorite show was about to begin, I came across those pants with the mustard stain. Those were the days, weren't they? The way we'd sit, all sad. How upset the mustard stain made me. How I thought writing Kanye West could solve our problems. How the idea of hearing our local news anchor say, from one lemur to a city of many other lemurs, have a good evening, meant something to me. Thanks, Jason. I love that lemur poem. Thanks. What's the South America? Is it the what's the South American creature that capybara? The, yes, I love those poems of yours too. That's yeah. Thanks. I have to turn away while you're reading, so that's not oh, me laughing. <laughs> your, mm -hmm. um, I really wish I could read this next poem in the voice of Kanye West. You can try. No, I can't. You could sing it. <laughs> no, I can't. I, I just want to say before you read, Mark, you're my people. Thanks, guys, for being here. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks for having us. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, this poem is from Bewilderness, and it's called We Blow the Pants Off Our Competition. And your pants and our hands become traveling flags. Natives across the globe lift their rare elixirs, too. The mountain wouldn't without the say-so of our committee, which is already made of irrevocable ascending. You know our stilo by what be, can't be erased from the sky. We play percussion with bank accounts. War is like breakfast, and we wipe our lips with doves that never stop flying. We can't be ruffled. Of course you admire our sunglasses. They will never break. We contain platitudes that shiver the timbers of your disinterested philosophies. Our desert, our desert, makes an outhouse of celestial utopias. Parapsychology is like finger counting to five for our most simple lamps. We never ever sleep. Please call us, please. Thanks, Mark. 
So everyone, start calling WCBN-FM to say how much you love Mark McKee, Jason Breedle, and WCBN. No, I'm just kidding. Just don't, don't call, but please call. Um, so um, what are some of the... Um, what are some of the images you guys that do you find or do you find that you have things that are like touchstones that across because Mark, you mentioned like 1998, one of the poems that you read today for us in the collection and then spanning post, you know, 9-11 and, mm-hmm. and, and onward. Um, do you have things that keep reoccurring? Um, like, like Bruce Willis seems to make an appearance in a few poems. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I do that all the time. It's not, it's sort of like, uh, it's partially on purpose and partially by accident. Like, I, like sometimes I just really enjoy putting the same thing in poems over and over. <laughs> it's, it's sort of like making a joke and then like tweaking it over and over again. Um, or, or just embellishing it a little bit in different ways. Um, and then sometimes it's just... Uh, sometimes that happens by accident and then I notice it later and then I make it look like I did that on purpose. <laughs> Step right this way, Bruce Willis. <laughs> right, right. Well, that, yeah, that, I mean, that line in that poem, I didn't read it, but... Because um, that's... It might have a dirty language in it, I don't remember. Because no aperture in, and I think and in Grand Prix. The right, well, the read. first Bruce Willis line made me laugh so much. <laughs> I just thought it was so silly that I put him into another poem. Because the first one I wrote is the one about um, staring at a a wall covered with pictures of Bruce Willis. <laughs> oh, oh, it's I want to I, I want to remove your skin and uh, put it over my skin and wear it to a party or something. <laughs> Very haunting. I have it right, right. here. I yeah, yeah. remember it better if I just looked at it. But. I'm not going to. Oh, look. you're not. Go- oh, okay. As we, all, we all wait. We all pause to see what's going to edge of our seat stuff. <laughs> and, um, and Mark, yeah, what were you? What I don't, you I don't, I mean, I think the, the things for me that kind of like occur over and over, I mean, there's words I have to avoid. It's after I read, uh, Tamaz Shalamun, um, he's in your acknowledgments, isn't he? Yeah. There's the a book. He, um, he, I got to introduce him when he read at Houston when I was a grad student there and I, I started reading his work. I was intru- introduced to his work by Dean and it oh, was also so, Houston, right? he's in Austin now. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, but Tomaj is so mercurial in his, in his, in his kind of like, uh, his imagination is, and so changeable, like everything can be everything else. And it really opened up certain possibilities uh for just saying things can happen that are physically impossible like oh i can throw a mountain around um so what having that power like you need something to kind of harness it or shape it and so the themes that i mean it's it's themes that i kind of come back to i think there's there's love there's death there's friendship and there's there's war there's suffering and there's happiness briefly and uh, and you 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 wind language around those things, and hopefully they become resonant and empathetic to the people who are um, uh, reading them. They do in these poems. Thanks thanks so much for reading these today and bringing them. Um, 
So it sounds like, in a, in a strange way, it's so exciting that Bewilderness is, is just out, Mark. Mm-hmm. But it also sounds like you've got then all this other, like this, this you said you've been working on the, the manuscript. So it must be kind of interesting because what does it feel like when you've got these poems, like now are they like the, the artifact of the book? And so they're sort of this new, it has a new, you have a new relationship with it. Oh, Whereas, yeah. and, it's, well, it's like going back in time. Because the the references there, I mean, I try to make the poems as entertaining and as and as and and as musical and as kind of like moving as I can make them, uh, and that means thinking about a, a more generalized audience than just myself. But the specific references feel like kind of uh, journalistic codes. They and they put me back in places that I haven't thought of in a long time. There's one poem in the book called that I'm going to read in Bloomington. It's called Understudiesfeld. It's about returning to Bloomington. <laughs> and every time I read that poem, like which I've done more lately, um, I, it, it reminds me of like when I was you know 20 years old and running around Bloomington. And you have poems like that too, Jason. Yeah, I mean, all like all of my books. It's sort of like once my book gets published, it's sort of like I feel like I can not keep revising those poems finally. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes I still keep revising them because um, that's insane. And I just feel like I need to up that insanity in my <laughs> life. Um, but yeah, like my first book feels like um, a diary of my early 20s, basically. Uh, but then by, by the time it was published, I was 31. So it just seems like I'm looking at a different person when I read it. Like just someone who's different. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot more like naive and thinking the world would be great. <laughs> and by the time I hit my thirties, I was like, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so we're laughing terrible. about it now. So it's okay. <laughs> These are far too jolly. Even the, I mean, yeah. even the poems I just read, I mean, Carnival is about something that it was about, an, I probably wrote it in like 2000, maybe five years ago, but it was about something that happened before I met my wife, so like 2004, and uh, Twilight Box is from like 2007. So it's just, yeah, I mean, even those, like I feel like those two, like what I like about them is that they're spanning time better than my earlier poems, which I'm sort of more embarrassed by now. Um, and, and those two I'm not, even though they're old at this point. I wonder if that comes with age. With the Probably. with the making, I bet. Mm-hmm. Like as we're getting I think older, you just get a little more intelligent about things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's hoping. Well, you think you do. I mean, it's complicated. <laughs> right. It's not like I can really <laughs> say that. It's true. Or the Man, mind uh, might be getting tired, so it just <laughs> seems like. No. I mean, you are more intelligent about some things, but then you also realize that um, you're never really going to understand anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely in the poems. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that that fool wisdom, which is like I don't know anything. Uh huh. Well, on that note, thanks you guys. It's Thank you. Been a great hour with you, and um, yeah, go get them. Rar. Will do. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone, you, Roger that. You've been listening to Living Writers of today on the program, Jason Breedle, Mark McKee. Um, thanks for listening, everyone out there. I'm T Hetzel. Until next time.
I was raised up believing I was somehow unique like a snowflake distinct among snowflakes unique You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor and get ready to polka because it's time for the Drive Time Polka Party. Come join my happy song. Valerie. 